Good morning. As Kayla said, my name is John Cavell, and uh, my wife and I have been attending here for about a little over a year. Uh, have lived in the valley since 1992. Been a pastor at a few different churches. Uh, been just a little bit about me, if you're interested. Been married for uh, in July. It'll be 33 years. Uh, to my wife, Joy, who is every bit as smart as she is lovely. And uh, we have uh, two kids who are grown up. We have a daughter and a son, and now we have a daughter-in-law, and we have two grandchildren. And I have a few hundred pictures on my phone. I'd be happy to share them with you. And so um, I enjoy uh, music, technology, and my love language is fighting sarcasm. So what I want to talk about today to start off are a few common misunderstandings. Because misunderstandings about what the Scripture says often lead to misunderstandings about how to apply what the Bible says. So I want to give you a a couple of examples. How many of you have ever heard a verse where Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am? You guys have heard that? We usually talk about that in a context of prayer, right? Not about prayer. It's in Matthew 18. Look it up. It's about how to deal with people who are being disruptive uh, in the body of Christ. Another commonly misunderstood verse where it says, uh, it's harder for a rich man to get in the kingdom of God than to put a needle in the eye of a camel. How many of you heard that one? Just meditate on that a little bit. (laughs) Put a needle in the eye of a camel. Yeah, because they're tall. It's hard. Okay. Another, another misunderstanding is that God will never allow more than I can handle. Who's heard that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a common one, too. Will God allow more than I can handle? Well, what does more than I can handle mean? What does that mean? Does that mean, will God allow more heartbreak or rejection in my life? Will God allow more hardship or adversity? Will God allow more illness or affliction. You see, the problem is misunderstandings often result in misapplications or misguided assumptions and then misguided expectations. So there are some expectations that come along with misunderstandings, like it's never God's will that I'm unhappy. It's never God's will that I suffer. Because when someone we know is unhappy or suffering, let's say you're in a small group and they're sharing prayer requests and somebody says that they're unhappy, what do we do? We pray to get them happy. (laughs) We want God to fix it. You know, I've been a pastor for for quite a long time, since, uh, um, uh, since about 1989. And when people were going through challenging circumstances and going through hard times, then what I would do is I would come alongside. I would pray. I would support. I would try to give encouragement. And then people would often ask questions which mostly begin with the word, why? And so I spent a lot of time studying and coming up with theological answers that I felt were correct, and I would try to offer those in a sensitive, supporting way But I always knew in the back of my mind that it was all just in theory for me. I was trying to have it applied to them, but it was mostly all in theory. But then a little over a couple of years ago, a little over two years ago, I got to apply all of those theological answers to my own life. Starting in March in 2016, um, I was downsized at work, which basically meant... um, 
most of my job went away along with most of my paycheck. Um, and then I went to a routine doctor's appointment and he did a couple of tests, listened to me and said, I want you to go to the ER. Okay, so I went to the ER and they started taking blood and they said, we're going to admit you, you have almost 0% kidney function. So suddenly I was admitted to the hospital and I'm, you know, texting my wife and texting my kids, texting, I was supposed to preach that week. I mean, it was just, you know, things were changing rapidly. So then uh, I went on dialysis and they had the hard time. I had to stay in the hospital for about two weeks because they couldn't figure out why I suddenly had kid no kidney function just out of nowhere. So they kept me for about a couple of weeks and then they sent me home. But then I still felt really sick, so I went back, and it turned out I had an infectious blood disease. And so quickly, I ended up in ICU. And most of that time I was in ICU, I don't even remember, because I was just apparently just laying in the bed, thrashing around unconscious. So I lived there in the hospital for about three weeks with the doctors coming in, a parade of doctors and specialists all walking and saying, we're really not sure what's wrong with you. So I lived there for about three, and they're throwing around words like MRSA and all this kind of stuff. So they finally got an antibiotic that was working, that was killing it, so they finally let me go. So I spent most of that summer living in a hospital. Don't do that if you can avoid it. It's not fun. So went a few months, but then I started having all this horrible pain in my back. You know, it was like, okay, God, please, what is this? And uh, so I went back, went back and forth in the month of December, and then it turned out I had something called osteomyelitis, which is an infection in the vertebrae. Look it up in Google, look for pictures of osteomyelitis in the vertebrae. It's gross. It looks really bad, incredibly painful. I mean, you know, the technicians aren't supposed to tell you what's wrong with you, but I'm coming out of an MRI, and the guy goes, you must be in a lot of pain, dude. <laughs> uh-huh. So that ended up, they diagnosed that finally, and I got surgery, which resulted in, now I have two titanium rods running parallel to my spine that's attached to the vertebrae in 15 places. So basically, I'm like Wolverine without the weapons. You know, I'm hoping to go back and get the upgrade, you know, because just have some blades popping out could be really cool. And so at various times, I remember saying to myself, to my wife, like, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can handle this. And, you know, that calls to mind that verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says, No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted, to be tempted beyond that which you can endure. It never says God won't allow what we can handle, whatever handle means. We won't be tempted by something that we can't resist. But the Bible really never says you'll never be, you'll never be able to have something you can't handle. So I remember one time I was sitting there in my room and had his roommate named Frank and we would talk back and forth a lot. And he goes, so uh, do you ever ask why me? And I sat there and I thought, you know, I don't. I don't ask why me. And I said, if anything, I'd have to ask, why not me? I'm a human being. I live on planet Earth. I've known a lot of people who've had to suffer, who've gotten sick, who've been afflicted. And I just felt like, I guess this is my turn. And I was okay if, it was, if that meant I was going to die sooner than my insurance company predicts. 
In fact, there was one point where I thought that was going to happen, so I started planning my funeral. And then my kids and my wife got really mad at me about that because I was going, okay, well, here's what I want. They got, Dad, shut up. Just stop talking about it. You're not dead yet. They thought I was going to. At one point when I was in ICU, they did think I was, you know, I wasn't necessarily a death's door, but I could see it from there. And, um, you know, but anyway, so basically what I want to bring to you today is not to tell you that I have suffered like anybody else has suffered. Because typically when I think about suffering, I don't think about my experience per se. I mean, I think about people who are victimized, people who have things foisted upon them that were just completely disables them in life. And I feel that not, you know, even with going dialysis three times a week and all this kind of stuff, I still see people all the time that I feel have got a lot worse than me. But what I did have to do is I did have to apply all the stuff I was telling other people who were afflicted and to see if it really worked. And so I had to apply it to my life. So I want to give you three things that you can think about, that you can apply in order to handle what you think you can't handle. So when you feel like life is afflicting you and you're wondering, I don't know if I can handle this, here's three things you can do, at least three things that have been working for me. And the first thing is this. you got to recalibrate your expectations. you got to recalibrate your expectations. In the book of John, in, verse 10, in chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus made a statement that you've probably heard a few times. But again, I think sometimes we misunderstand it. He said, the thief, calling about the, talking about the enemy, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so sometimes we see that verse and we think, abundant life. Well, what does abundant life mean? I don't know. Sounds to me happy, healthy. You know, abundant life. But then to the same people, Jesus made a few other statements. If you go on uh, in, in ch- chapter 15, Jesus said that if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And then in chapter 16, he says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So wait a minute, Jesus. You said you want us to have an abundant life, and now you're talking about people hating us. And you're talking about us having trouble in this world. I don't think Jesus was contradicting himself. You see, that word abundant is not necessarily synonymous with just happy and everything going your way. It's deeper than that. It's being able to have an abundant life when people may disrespect you, hate you, reject you, disregard you because of your faith in Christ. An abundant life can happen even in a world where there is trouble, in a world where being human means you might get sick. You might have pain. But you can still have this abundant life because it's not just about being happy and healthy. There's a verse in the Bible that I always call the hospital verse. You know, so like, let's say I'm walking across the street and I get run over by a bus. So I'm in the hospital and my Christian friends all come and this happened to me when I was in the hospital and God bless them. I know they meant well, but more than one would say, well, but God works all things together for good. Someday you're going to be glad this happened. Like, yeah, really? 
So does God promise that there's some kind of payoff, that if you endure some difficult circumstance, that if you get sick and they don't know why and you can't work, or you get some infectious blood disease and you're laying in bed and you can't even walk, you can't move your limbs, and the doctors just keep coming in and saying, we don't really know what's wrong with you. We're working on it, though, and we'll send you a bill. That someday I'm going to be glad that happened? Is that really what that means? I don't think it does. I think actually what the good of that verse, for the good of those who love him, that word good is defined in the very next verse. (laughs) In verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. What is the good that God's working on when you're in a tough situation? It's making you like Christ. So that what's important to God becomes more important to you. What's unimportant to God becomes less important to you. That you get better at treating other people like Jesus would. That's what God is looking for. That's what he's working on. That's the thing that he can be working on in any and every situation and circumstance, no matter how difficult. That's the good. And that's available to anybody. That's what God has in mind. That's what he's working on. That's what he's moving toward. And author Paul W. Powell says this, God is more concerned about our character than our comfort. His goal is not to pamper us, but to perfect us. You know, it's interesting in the Bible that says that in heaven, one day in heaven, I'll never be sick. No more sorrow, no more tears. But he doesn't say that about this life. And this is one thing I told my roommate. I said, you know what? This is not heaven. It's not supposed to be heaven. We're not supposed to be fooled into thinking that living right now is going to be like living in heaven. That doesn't mean you have to be miserable. But sometimes we have to recalibrate our expectations of what we expect God is doing and what he's going to do. And so that's one of the first ways, how to handle what you think you can't handle, recalibrate your expectations. The second thing is this. Stop asking God for help that he's already given to you. Stop asking God for help that he's already given to you. This principle completely transformed how I pray. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with a few spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Oops. Who has blessed us with quite a few spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. No. Blessed us with most spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. No. What is the word there? Okay, thank you for that enthusiasm. (laughs) Glad you're with me there, hanging in there. I'm just bearing my soul. Every. Let's try it one more time. How many? Every. You know, it's funny when we read the Bible, and sometimes we think, well, what does that word really mean in Greek? Every is a very difficult to translate word. It means every. <laughs> all means all, and that's all it means. <laughs> they say, yeah, God the Father, who has, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so in the morning when I go, oh, God, help me to be more kind to people, God's going, I already did. I blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
Well, God, help me to be more loving to people. I did. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Like, okay, but God, um, help me to be more forgiving. And the guy's going, I did. <laughs> Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours in Christ. We spend all this time asking God to help us do things he's already helped us to do. And so I had to change how I pray. Instead of saying, God, please help me to be more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, I had to change and say, God, thank you for giving me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in order so that I can be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, and kind. I don't need God to help me. He already did. I just need to do it. I just need to believe what the Bible says, that God's given me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ and start being what he's already helped me to be. Now I can't blame God because I wasn't loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, and kind. I can't go, well, I asked God to help me, and he didn't, so that's why I'm a jerk. You can blame him. And God's going, nah, uh uh I ain't taking that. That's on you. So replace help me to be, fill in the blank, with thank you that you give me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places to enable me to be everything you've asked me to be. I don't know about you, but for me, that completely changed everything in how I pray. Instead of asking God to make me something that I was basically being too lazy to be on my own, I had to thank him for blessing me with everything I need to be everything he calls me to be. Now, I don't know if I've gotten any better at being those things. I just can't blame God for it anymore. I just have to say, look, it's all on me. There's nothing missing. I have everything I need to be spiritual. So one more thing. How to handle what you think you can't handle. You got to be honest with God. Now, we know that God knows our thoughts. Psalm 139 says he knows our thoughts. He knows what we're feeling. He knows every word before we say it. But we don't always want to admit that. We don't always act like that. Because, you know, the thing about being a Christian, whatever that means to you, but I always say that you have to learn how to speak Christianese. You know, like when you come into church and somebody says, how's it going? First of all, you've got to realize when somebody says, how's it going, they don't mean how's it going. They just mean hi. <laughs> I used to have this one friend, Rich. He'd say, hey, Rich, how's it going? And he'd actually start telling you. You know, you stand there and go, whoa, dude, I just said, how's it going? I didn't really want to know. But when in church, you know, somebody says, how's it going? And somebody says, well, God must think I'm really strong. Because what does that mean? That means my life sucks. <laughs> God's really testing me right now. I'm, I'm in a real opportunity for growth season. <laughs> it's like whenever people say like that, so I'm going, so basically your life sucks right now. Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're telling me? But see, we don't want to be like that, you know, and so if you really want to know how, if people are really asking you how's it going, you always got to wait for that, you know, when they go, hey, how's it going? And they kind of cock their head and they go, really? You know, how's it going? Really? Well, then now you can unload on them because they asked for it. 
And then you can tell them how God's really testing you, and God must think you're really strong, and you're really in a growth time, which basically means right now I hate my life. I remember one time, uh, you know, when I used to get up really early on Sunday mornings, my daughter was really little, and she wanted to go with me. She just really wanted to get up early and go with me to church. Okay, all right. But it's Saturday night. She was up too late. She's getting a, I'm putting her to bed, and it's way too late. And I said, honey, I'm not going to be able to get you up tomorrow and take you. So she just explodes, crying, you know. And I said, oh, why not? And I said, you know what? We're going to bed too late. We'll do it next time. And I remember sitting there. She's crying. She's mad. She's upset. And I'm looking at her, and I know why she's upset. I disappointed her. Now, she's not going to get up early. She won't get enough sleep. But I know as her dad that she's upset, and it's because of me. But it's okay. She'll get over it. And you know, the thing is, when we're going through a hard time, when you're unhappy, when you're troubled, when it's difficult, God knows that. And the sooner you get honest with God when you're praying, the better your conversations with God are going to be. If you're just praying the way you think God wants to hear you pray, and you're just saying kind of real churchy-sounding verbiage that you think God really wants, then you're missing out on an opportunity to connect with God in a special and deeper way. King David, who wrote many of the Psalms, in the book of Psalms, was pretty good at being honest with God. And in Psalm 13 is a prayer of his that God included in his word, okay? Doesn't make God sound all that great, at least in the beginning. So I want to put it up here and show it to you. He start, this is just the first part of the psalm. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Does David sound frustrated? It's kind of the whole, God, where are you? Things are not going the way they're supposed to go. How long is this going to go on? Why am I out here on my own? Where you said you would be here with me. Now, what's cool is you go further down into the psalm, and it's almost like God kind of just said, all right, are you done? Because then he comes around. It's like, all right, I know you're sovereign. I know you'll always be with me, and yada, yada, yada. And, but it was just, here is this brutal honesty that God included in his word as a guide for us. Here's, here's an example of how to pray where God's saying, look, when you're frustrated with me, when you feel like I've let you down, I'm talking about God when, God, when you feel like God has let you down, get it out. Say it. Because probably, you know, when you don't say it, in the back of your mind, you're kind of thinking, I mean, I know God really doesn't let me down, but it sure feels like it. I know God hasn't forgotten me, but it kind of feels like it. I know God's not breaking any promises, but man, sometimes, sometimes it feels like it. And you think God doesn't know? He knows. He knows. I mean, I had to admit, all right, God, I don't like sitting in this, I don't like living in a hospital. I don't like suddenly, I used to be able to walk, I used to be pretty active physically, and now I, 
I can't even get up out of the stupid hospital bed. I can't even move my arms most of the time. I can't reach anything. I have all these doctors coming in and telling me they don't know what's wrong with me, but whatever it is, it's really serious. But you know, all that theology that I'd been, I almost said spewing, but it didn't mean that. Um, All that theology I had been laying on other people kind of came back to haunt me. It was like, all right, John, do you really believe this stuff? And you know what? I realized I did. I really did believe all that stuff that I was saying. I really did believe that this isn't heaven and that while I had never had to experience a lot of affliction in life, there was no reason for me not to have experienced it. And it's kind of a cold reality that being a human being means we are susceptible to things. And I tell you, again, as bad as I ever had it, however bad I did, a lot of people think I had it worse than I feel like I did, but, you know, I go to a dialysis center three times a week and I see people there that, oh my gosh, they're in worse shape than I am. I feel bad for them. There's a guy in the chair next to me, Mark, that, man, I'm wondering if I'm going to see him next time every time. And so I appreciate that I haven't had to be that bad off. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but I mean, I could think about what a drag it is for me right now, but on the other hand, it could be a lot worse. I feel very fortunate to have not had to experience the, the level of affliction that I see so many people experiencing on a daily basis. but I'm constantly wanting to calibrate my expectations. I'm constantly trying to make sure that I'm not asking God to do something he hasn't already done, as if he hasn't already done it. And that when I pray, I gotta be brutally honest with God. I gotta be as honest with God as he is with me. Now, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that means admitting that what I would really like, the way I would like things to be. God doesn't owe me that. He may bless me with that. You know, he may bless me with great health again in the future. I am in line for a transplant. Looks like it's probably gonna happen this year. I'm very, very fortunate. Um, Thank you, but if you're gonna applaud, applaud for my daughter, (laughs) because she's the one giving me a kidney. Yeah, somebody, somebody asked me about that, and I said, well, it is good to raise kids so that you, they give you spare parts. <laughs> like, just grow your own, you know? <laughs> no, and actually, she was like right, I mean, this is my daughter. This is the way she is if, you, if you've ever had a chance to meet her. As soon as I got sick, she goes, well, where do I sign up? How do I get tested? I'm like, honey, you're a little young to be giving away body parts. You may need them someday. But she's very, very persistent, and, you know, we're kind of going through that whole process and if things keep going the way they're going. But, you know, and again, on the one hand, yeah, it's been a hard few years. But on the other hand, I have a daughter who's willing to give me a kidney. <laughs> and that's all on God, you know.
So we got to calibrate our expectations. Got to stop asking God for help he's already given to you. And, and when you pray, be honest with God. If you're not going to be honest with any other person in your world, be honest with God. He already knows. He already knows. And he knows that if you're frustrated and you feel like blaming him, he already knows that. He knows that what, however he is orchestrating your life is not fun. He knows that. And he's willing to shoulder that. He's willing to take the blame, as it were. So just be honest with him.